Good morning. We'd like to welcome you to our service of worship this morning. Please stand and join us as we sing our praises to God together. I will sing forever of your love. Come down with my hands to heaven. Shout your praises loud. I was lost in darkness when you pulled me out. I will sing forever of your love. Come down. I once was blind. I could not see. Chains of sin had shackled me, but God in heaven heard my plea. Jesus, Jesus, rescue me. Jesus, Jesus, rescue me.
Father, we anticipate the day when Christ will come and usher in your kingdom. Until that time, we live in in the promise and the joy of your kingdom. We pray that you will uh, help us as we worship today to acknowledge who you are and open our hearts to you. We ask that you would, uh, would help us to sense your presence with us today. We pray this through Christ. Amen. I'm going to invite you to uh, share a word of greeting with each other. We're going to extend this a little bit more. So you know when that internal clock goes off in your head that we're done? Greet a little bit longer. As I was uh, reading through this month's highlights, I was uh, reminded again of the many ways in which the members of this congregation reach out to our neighbors, uh, volunteering down at Wellspring Ministries, driving for Meals on Wheels, uh, assisting local families with service projects through Project Grace, uh, giving to the food pantry. Well, there's one other valuable way that our congregation reaches out uh, into our neighborhood, and that's through Royal Family Kids Camp, a ministry of this church for more than 20 years. Uh, Dozens of the folks from this church, along with many Houghton College students over the years, have spent a week at camp each summer uh, with some wonderful children. Others have made it possible for those kids to attend camp through their generous giving. And many of you have prayed for campers and staff during that week of camp. For one week in July, children from around Allegheny County, some of them very close to home, come for a week of fun at camp. We sing, we play games, we swim, we fish, we have a birthday party and a carnival and a talent show and a campfire. We hear about God and his plans for our lives. And most of all, our campers, whose uh, children whose lives have been disrupted by abuse or neglect, hear the message that they are special because they are loved by a heavenly father who will never leave them. One of our campers, I'll call her Susie, came to camp for the first time in 2015 as a seven-year-old. She was living in foster care at the time, and her counselors noticed that she seemed particularly burdened by the welfare, about the welfare of one of her younger siblings. Last summer at camp, Susie happily reported that she was back with her parents, but we recently learned that her parents had been arrested and are in jail now, and it's likely that Susie's back in foster care. Last summer, during swim time, a great little guy, and I'll call him Jake, paddled up to me, and we started talking in the pool. And I mentioned to him that I had just become a grandpa and that I was really homesick to see my granddaughter because she hadn't been able to come up to camp that week. Yeah, he said, I miss my dad too. I don't see him very often. He's in prison. Then he paused and he said, but I love camp and I love you. 
Well, fortunately, Susie and Jake can return to camp again this summer, where they can relax and have fun and just be kids, knowing that they are safe, surrounded by adults who care for them and want good things for them. So how can you help make that a reality for these children? Well, first of all, you can pray for them. You may not know their names, but you can pray for the kids of RFKC and for their safety and well-being in often very difficult circumstances. And second, you can give. If you've ever sent one of your own kids to camp for a week, you know it's not cheap. And with a gift of $300, you can sponsor one of these children to make it possible for them to come to camp. But any gift, no matter how large or small, goes to creating positive memories for every child. But finally, we need volunteers. We need several helpers in the dining room to deliver food to the tables. And believe me, the kids will love you when you bring extra pancakes and tacos. And if you enjoy working with crafts, you can help in our activity center. And we can use someone to join the drama team. But most of all this summer, we need counselors. You'll have a great time getting to know two campers, but you won't do it alone. There's a lot of support staff who will be with you along the day to help. But you'll have the privilege of showing God's love to children who desperately need that reassurance. Applications for counselor and staff positions are due by mid-February, so if you're interested, please contact Nancy Murphy. And there's an insert in your bulletin today that gives you more information about how you can be involved with Royal Family. Royal Family Kids Camp, I promise you, will be the best week that you'll spend this summer. Thank you. I just have a quickie about the other insert in your bulletin. Anytime we do something new or different, it's easy to say, well, that doesn't involve me because it's not in my schedule. We're kicking off our missions month this, this year with uh, a family night, Wednesday, this week, the first. And we're inviting everyone to participate. Because it's Wednesday night, sometimes you might think it's just for kids. Exactly the opposite. It's not just for kids. It's for all of us. First, this is for every age. Nursery will be provided for the youngest. Second, it's important to be there on time at 6.15 because this is a clockwork tour here that you just go from one room to another, four different rooms out of seven for you, unless you cheat. So uh, we hope to see you there Wednesday night. And uh, there are a lot of good people filling these rooms with activities, information, souvenirs for the kids, and uh, we need you there. Thanks. God bless. I also wanted to remind you about the uh, potluck luncheon today uh, after the uh, 11 o'clock service. Uh, I think people will be gathering even after the 940 service. So hopefully even if you didn't sign up to come, you, uh, you can come. It's a, we're hosting uh, college students who attend our church. And, uh, but everyone is welcome, and we'd love to have you there. And uh, so we'll be in the community room. Uh, probably start serving lunch uh, as the 11 o'clock service is concluding. And uh, just a chance to connect, make some connections with students and even others in the community. We're going to ask the ushers to come and assist us now as uh, we give our tithes and offerings. Sorry. 
And uh, as we do so, if you want to come kneel at the altar rail, please join me. Father, we come today with a desire in our hearts to know you and to uh, be like you. You blessed us beyond what we could really measure or count. We come in a spirit of gratitude and thanksgiving today. Father, as we, as we think about uh, our lives in this world, we sense so much turmoil in our world. We see places of war, and violence, and division. We see nation against nation, people against people, even families against families. And we pray that you would bring peace through your spirit. We pray, Father, for the work of your church around the world. We give thanks for the for the ministry that John and Pat Shea have had, five decades of, of service in a variety of settings, in a variety of ways. We pray, Father, that uh, you will continue to bear fruit from their lifetime of ministry and service. Pray for our brothers and sisters, many of them who worship in secret. We pray, Father, that as, as these Christians long for fellowship and support, that you would ease the restrictions of government, that you would protect them from the attacks that come against them, and that you would allow them as the church to come together, that they would find freedom, and in that freedom, joy and strength and support and encouragement through your grace. We continue to pray for refugees throughout the world and for people recovering from disasters and, and the terrorist attacks and other ways in which, in which our lives are disrupted by evil, violence. Lord, we pray for our nation. We sense a lot of divisiveness in our nation. We pray that through your spirit, you will so change our hearts that our that our desire would be to love one another, to care for one another. Whether we disagree or agree about all kinds of things, love would override the threat of disunity, the threat of divisiveness. Father, we continue to pray for the leaders of our nation. Our president, the members of Congress, those who serve in the judiciary, other places of leadership. And we ask that you would give wisdom and a a spirit of, of wanting to serve, to see the needs of people who are most vulnerable, people who are most needy. And our hearts as a nation would be turned to help them and care for them and love them. Spirit of Christ. Father, we pray for the needs that we represent right here. We ask that you would 
you would heal those struggling with health concerns. We ask that you would bring comfort to all who are grieving. We pray that you would help us in uh, financial needs and thinking about the future and the concerns of our lives, whatever they may be. May we sense you at work. We pray, Father, for this church and the ministry of this church and all the ways in which we serve one another and all the ways in which we serve around us. And we ask that your grace would be with us. We pray, Father, for our gathering on Wednesday and ask that you would bless this time together as we think about the world. And uh, we pray for Royal Family Kids Camp and the need for volunteers to minister to needy children. And we pray for the churches around us, and especially the Shepherd of the Valley Lutheran Church in Wellsville and Pastor Knitter. Pour out your spirit on this gathering of believers. They would know your grace and be beacons of light. Thank you for hearing our prayers today, Father. We offer them in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Good morning. After the reading of the scripture, children will be dismissed for Children's Church and Junior Church. Um, Today's scripture is found in Matthew, so will you please rise for the reading of the gospel. Matthew 6, verses 1 through 18. You can't have me read after the Royal Family Kid Camp. We'll see if I get through this. (laughs) Chapter 6. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, and to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. I tell you truly, when they have received the reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for the Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts. And we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people... When they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. 
When you fast, do not look somber like the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that you will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only your Father, who is unseen, and your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. This is the word of the Lord.
Please be seated. I suspect most of us struggle with discipline. In fact, we probably think of discipline more negatively than positively. We struggle to discipline ourselves about all kinds of things, right? I mean, you know, and it varies from each one of us, but discipline is something we have to work at. Discipline is something we have to give ourselves to. It just doesn't come naturally to us. I was watching the uh, Australian Open last couple of weeks and just finished this morning. And they, uh, a number of the commentators will be talking about a variety of players, some in particular, who had a lot of talent, but they never go very far in the tournaments. And they keep talking about how they just don't have any discipline. They don't want to practice. They, they don't want to get, they get themselves in the right kind of shape. And so they keep, though they have great potential, they keep losing in the first or second rounds and never really accomplish what everyone thinks they can accomplish. And as I'm listening to that, I'm thinking about my own lack of discipline and getting a little bit convicted by that. But we all, we all struggle with these things. And what I find fascinating when you read the words of Jesus that we read this morning, and he's echoing what we see a lot of Scripture, is that spiritual disciplines are essential to being citizens of God's kingdom. At the end of chapter 5, we didn't read this, but the very last verse of chapter 5 says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And we talked about that some last week. And that word perfect doesn't mean don't ever do anything wrong, but it means to, to the wholeness, the completeness of God, that we, we want what God wants. We want what, who God is. We want to look like our Father look like the king of the kingdom. That's what kingdom citizens want. And chapter 5 is really showing us what it looks like to want that. And now as we come to chapter 6, Jesus is saying, in essence, here's how you get to that. Here's how you live. Here's what you do. Here's what life looks like when, when you really want to look like the king. And spiritual disciplines, what he talks about. Now, he doesn't mention all the spiritual disciplines. He talks about uh, giving and prayer and fasting. But he doesn't, there's lots of other spiritual disciplines. Worship, solitude, silence, accountability. The, the, the long list of things that he could talk about. But he uses these as examples. These are things that are, that are a big part of the lives of the people sitting in front of him as he teaches on mountain. And he uses these as examples to remind us of how significant spiritual disciplines are to being the kinds of citizens in the kingdom who look like the king. And so he starts with good deeds or giving. And as he talks, he was really talking about is, is that citizens of the kingdom understand the spiritual discipline of giving. And we often think of giving as something we do spontaneously. We, we, feel, we feel moved by an appeal or something like that. And so we, we give to something. And that's important. It's good to do that. But I think Jesus is saying, really, the discipline of giving means that we have a plan. We have a pattern. We have something that is a part of our lives that we give in a way that expresses our hearts. Not just when we feel like it, 
sweat all the time. It's a, it's a spiritual discipline. And so when we talk about, you know, in the Old Testament, God says that the, the minimum dis, part of the spiritual discipline of giving is the tithe, 10%. That's what he asks of his people. As we come to the New Testament, there's no place in the New Testament that says that has stopped. What it really says is practice the plan of being generous. Which means, don't again, don't think about how little I can do and still get by, but think about how much can I do. And the idea of giving is that we, cre- we are creating a spiritual discipline of generosity. That we give because we want to be generous to God who has been so generous to us. He has given everything to us. And we are giving out of a spirit of generosity to Him and thankfulness and gratitude for what He's done. But it's not just about being generous toward other people. The spiritual discipline of giving is also related to helping people in need. Everything that we see about spiritual disciplines are are initially about us and God. But of course, as we know, our, our walk with God is never just about us and God. It's always about us and other people too. John tells us in his first epistle that you can't say I love God and and not love other people. They are connected. They they cannot be separated. And so to be generous toward God is meaning to be generous toward other people as well. And we learn a spirit of generosity toward people. And that takes place what we give to the church, but also everywhere we are. How we tip people in a restaurant. What we do when, when, we, uh, when someone is, is raising funds for a good cause. And granted, we can't help everybody about everything, but there is something in us that says, I want to be as generous as I possibly can. I want to give to the kingdom, give to the church, give to what God is doing in the world, give to help people in need. And it becomes a spiritual discipline for us. It's something that we plan for and we prepare for. And when we do that, then when the spontaneous moments come, that just means we are that much more generous. He talks about prayer. And again, when he's talking about prayer, he's talking about developing a deeper sense of intimacy with God. At its heart, prayer is communicating with God, listening to God, pouring out our hearts to God, and letting God speak to us. And it's all about relationship. It's all about intimacy. It's, it's in any relationship we have. If we never talk to each other, if we never have conversations with each other, if we never spend time with each other, I don't think any of us would say that's a really close relationship. It is the being together. It is the conversation, even hard conversations, that create the intimacy of relationship. The kind of relationships we long for. And this is what God has given us, this gift of prayer. But we, so often our prayers are just spontaneous. We're in trouble, so we pray. We have a need, so we pray. Something is burdening us, so we pray. And those are good prayers, and we ought to pray those prayers. But they ought to come out of a spiritual discipline of prayer. That we pray regularly. We have a time set aside, hopefully every day, maybe multiple times every day, that we stop and we pray. Because it's important to us. Because God is important to us. Because having a relationship with Him, intimacy with Him, is important to us. And so we make the time to do it. But it also creates a spirit of openness toward other people. As we open our hearts to God, it opens our hearts to people. And the intimacy with God starts creating and shaping our hearts toward other people the way God feels toward other people. 
And when we come out of praying, one of the most natural things that should happen to us is that we have an even deeper sense of love for other people and seeing their needs and being involved in caring for needs. And then he talks about fasting. I think fasting is sort of like that, that distant cousin that shows up at family reunions that you really wish he wouldn't. You know, you, everybody's like, it's so awkward. I don't know what to say to them. They don't have, you know, they, 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 they get you in a corner and you can't get away from them. And, and no one really knows much about them. And, and, you know, everybody's hoping they don't show up, but they do. And then you don't know what to do. And it's really awkward. And I think that's how we feel about fasting. You know, it's sort of like, I don't know what to do with this. It was a part of their Jewish culture. It was a part of the rituals of their lives. It's probably rarely a part of our lives. The value of fasting is that it gives us concentrated time to spend with God. It it is time to, and it's also a time of disciplining our bodies to say, I, I can miss a meal, not just to miss a meal, but to do that in order to spend more time with God and to concentrate on God. But the, and the other part of that is, often people will take the money they would spend on a meal and give it to people in need. In the scriptures, fasting and justice are always connected. Over and over again, you see this. Isaiah 58 is one of those places. God says, we, or they, people say to God, we fasted before you. Why aren't you impressed? We've been very hard on ourselves and you don't even notice it. And God says, I'll tell you why I don't notice it. It's because you're fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. We keep fighting with each other and quarreling with each other. And then he says, the kind of fasting I want is that you free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free. Remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry. Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. On and on he goes about how it's about justice. And there's something about, about disciplining ourselves this way that creates a spirit of wanting to help other people who are in need. And all of the spiritual disciplines are simply helping us think like God thinks and, and to be willing to, to, um, to limit ourselves and to discipline ourselves in such a way that we are more open to God and more open to other people. But as we read what Jesus says here, his biggest concern beyond the fact that we do these things, because you'll notice he doesn't say, if you pray, if you give to others, if you fast, he says, when you do that, when you do good deeds, when you give, when you pray, when you fast. He is expecting us to do these things. All the spiritual disciplines. But he says, he's concerned about our motives. Why do we do these things? For the people in their culture, a lot of the things they do are to impress other people. Now, Jesus loves hyperbole, and so when he says that they present their gifts with trumpets blaring, I don't think... The, uh, the wealthiest people walk into the temple and all of a sudden they've got this brass quartet on the side going, bum, you know, and they play this tune and then they, they have this great intro and then they drop their coins into the offering plate and everyone cheers for them. But I do think, you go back to the, the story of the widow who put in two little pennies into the offering, they, the pictures are that they had about seven trumpet-like metal containers that people would come to the temp- temple and put their offerings in. And of course, everything was coinage then. And so the more, the more uh, wealthy the coin, the more value of the coin, the heavier it would be and the more noise it would make. 
And so the rich people would come and make sure that everything was quiet after the trumpets played. And then they they throw their coins in, as many as they could, and make as much noise as they can. And everyone would say, ooh, look at how wealthy they are. Look how much they give. And then the widow comes along and she puts in a few little pennies and they go, ding, ding. And Jesus says she gave more than they did. Because her motive was right and theirs wasn't. Now Jesus is not saying if you can't give in the right motive, don't give. To give with the wrong motive is better than not giving. But he's saying those are not our only two options. You give with the right motive. You give not to impress people. You give because it's the right thing to do. Because it's, it's a spirit of generosity toward God and a spirit of wanting to help other people. And the same way with praying. Again, they would, they would come and, and pray these eloquent prayers. There's nothing wrong with praying eloquent prayers. To, be, to think about what we're praying, there's nothing wrong with that at all. It's honoring to God to take time to think about what we pray. But again, the motive was to impress people. So they'd pray out in the public as loud as they could and people would stand in awe of how awesome these prayers, these prayers are. These must be really holy people. And Jesus says, okay, but what I really want is for you to want me. Well, I really want your prayers to be about relationship with me. And so people hear your prayers fine, but that's not really the intent of it. Because I want to build intimacy with you and relationship with you in the same way with fasting. You, know, you, you walk into a room and, and you're going, oh boy, mm, man. Ooh, yeah, I'm only feeling it today. Wow. Mm. You know, if you do that long enough, people are going to say, so are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. I've just been fasting for the last two months. I'm just really struggling here. Yeah. Man, it's been awesome, though. Oh, ooh, ooh man. Oh, I'm really hurting, you know. What if, if people are going, wow, this guy's really spiritual, right? And Jesus is saying, that's not the point. Actually, try to make it as if people don't even know you're fasting, except they see a little more of Jesus in you. They see a little more openness to God. They sense that you care more about other people. That's the point of fasting. They've been so concentrating on God that when people look and they judge us, it's not because, ooh, they're doing some spiritual things. It's because, wow, they really care about people. They really love God. And Jesus says there are rewards involved in this. Now that makes sometimes makes us a little nervous because people want to take that and run with it. And talk about how you know God, God will reward you if you're good. God will reward you if you do these things. And quite frankly, that's exactly what Jesus says. He says rewards are part of spiritual disciplines. And he says if you do these things to impress people then you will get the reward of impressing people. But if you do these things because you care about God and you care about people, you get the reward that only God can give. Now, he isn't saying that if we do these things to impress people, God's going to stand back and say, well, I'm not rewarding that. I think he's simply saying, you get what you want. And if you want, if you're doing these things because you want to impress people, you'll probably impress people. And you've gotten what you wanted to get. But that's it. But when we do these things, we, we practice spiritual disciplines because we want a closer relationship with God and because we want to, to better love people in this world, then we get that. 
And again, it takes us back to the Beatitudes. Everything here flows out of the Beatitudes. It takes us back to blessed are those, blessed are those, blessed are those. God loves to bless people. He loves to bless people. It's just a matter of do we want that blessing? Do we want God's blessing? And actually, the blessing he's talking about, I think a lot of it is freedom. He's talking about setting us free from the bondage of having to live our lives impressing people. If you've ever tried to do that, you know how exhausting that is. And the thing is, you have to keep upping the ante. Because what impressed people a month ago is probably not going to impress them today. So we have to do more. We have to pray louder, more eloquent prayers. We have to fast longer. We have to give more. And we have to make a bigger presentation of it. Because we're always looking. Are people watching? Are people seeing us? And it's exhausting to do that. It's bondage. And Jesus is saying, you can be set free from all that. The blessing of God is not about people thinking you're so awesome. It's about intimacy with the Father. It's about being a part of the kingdom. It's about being set free. It's about participating in what God is doing in the world. It's about being agents of reconciliation and hope and grace and truth and love. Being a part of the kingdom. One of his books, C.S. Lewis, talks about how this whole idea of rewards that kind of seem mercenary to us don't seem to bother Jesus at all. And he says, when you think about it, he said, I think what Jesus is saying is that our, our desire for God's rewards are not too strong, they're too weak. We settle way too easily, way too quickly. He says, we're like... We're like little children building mud pies in the slum with no idea that we are invited to go on a holiday to the beach. We settle. We settle for people thinking we're so awesome and missing out on the intimacy of, of God's presence in our lives and being the people He created us to be and the joy of that and the freedom of that. He goes on to talk about this, how some people outside the church think that this whole idea of rewards, that it does feel a little bit mercenary. And he says, well, it all depends on what you're working toward. If you marry someone because they are rich or because they will add some status to your life, then yes, that's mercenary and it's a bad reason to marry someone. But if you marry someone because you love them, that's the right thing to do. That's the most natural thing to do. That's what happens. That's what, that's what you want to happen. And that's the way it is in the kingdom. It's not that we're mercenaries. It's just that we want to know God. And we want to be like God. We want to, we want to be filled with the Spirit of God. So that we can live life as He created us to live. And I'm convinced that, that all of this comes back to our view of God. Why do we so often... Why do we so often practice spiritual disciplines and live our lives to get the attention of other people? Why is, this, why is it less important than you would think that we would sacrifice in order to, to gain the blessings of God? I think it's because we have a skewed view of God. Because we, when you really push comes to shove, we believe that the rewards of this earth are better. 
and the rewards of the eternal kingdom. And so we work for these things. We live for these things. So when he talks about, you know, being like people who, who pray babbling, the reason he's really talking about that is they're trying to convince the gods to do something good for them. They're trying to convince the gods to, to love them, to care about them. And Jesus says, don't do that because your heavenly father knows what you need. He loves you. He cares for you. He's going to tell us in chapter 7, he loves to give good, give good gifts to his children. And it's a skewed view of God. It causes us to think that the accolades and the admiration of people is better than anything God could give us. So we, we play act. You know, we, we pretend. We do all of these things thinking that the short term is better than the long term. The immediate is, a, is better than the, than the eternal. And we miss out not only on the eternal, but we miss out on the immediate. And the joy of life live in the presence of God. It comes back to being willing to sacrifice, being willing to discipline ourselves, being willing to practice these things, these gifts that God has given us so that we might know Him more and be open to Him more and in turn love others and care for them. All of my years growing up, my mother was a piano teacher. Most of the time, she had about 30 students that she taught every week. Wow. Come home from school and you listen to that for three hours. It doesn't make you want to do anything else. And she taught my sisters and me. We took lessons for a number of years. And I don't usually talk about this. And I don't, I don't usually play for people. But I thought to make a point this morning, I'm going to do that. And you all... You should count yourselves privileged because not a lot of people get the chance to hear me play very much. You have to get warmed up right here. Yes. Now I can change keys too, but that just feels like I'm showing off. That's it. That is the extent of my repertoire of piano playing. Because I didn't want to play piano. I didn't want to practice. I liked the idea of playing the piano, but I didn't like the idea of what it took to get to the place of playing piano. And I fought with my mother, and I whined, and I complained. I know it's hard for you to believe that, but I got angry, and I you know, slammed on the keys, and I did everything I could in my power to get out of playing piano. I didn't want to play Carry Me Back to Old Virginia another time. And all the others, I didn't want to do the scales. I wanted to go out and play basketball with my friends and baseball and football and hang out with my friends. I wanted to do anything else but play piano. And so eventually, after years of putting up with this, my mom said, fine, I'm not going to make you keep doing this anymore. But don't come back to me later and say, why did you let us quit? Because my sisters and I both did the same thing. And we all went back to her and said, why did you let us quit? And I lament the fact 
that I can't play. When I had the opportunity right in front of me. But I had such an immature, childish view of playing the piano. And I recognize, unfortunately, that sometimes I have an immature, childish view of the spiritual disciplines. I can't see beyond the moment and what I want to do and, and life in the moment. And I can't see the great things that God wants to do in the future if I am just willing to practice the spiritual disciplines in a way that honors Him changes my heart toward him and toward other people. I don't know, maybe the, the discipline that God is maybe put into your mind this morning, maybe it's one of these three things that Jesus talks about. Maybe it's something else. But he's asking this, us, this of us, not because he's trying to, to make our lives miserable, because he wants to fill our lives with joy and with his presence and to bless us, to set us free. Because he is good and loving and merciful. And he wants nothing but the very best for each of us. Father, we pray that you will make us open to you to the things that you want to do in us. Forgive us for our immature, selfish perspective. Set us free. Pray this through Christ. Amen. Please stand and join us as we sing.
of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore.